Countdown for blast off. X minus one. Yes, it's Maxwell House Coffee Time, starring George Burns and Gracie Allen. Richard Diamond, private detective. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. Suspense. It's time once again for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Dragnet. We offer you escape. Kraft presents the Great Gildersleeve. Yeah. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. The Jack Benny Program. Hi, this is Carl Amari, and welcome to episode 43 of Radio Rarities, the weekly podcast series that examines unique episodes from the golden age of radio. My co-host is the vivacious Lisa Wolf. This time we have the audition of one of the most revered series of classic radio. Suspense from the CBS Summer 1940 forecast series. In the thrilling episode The Lodger starring Herbert Marshall. A fascinating aspect of this audition is the involvement of Alfred Hitchcock. Or his non-involvement, Carl, as we shall later discover. Newly proposed radio programs were assessed for their worthiness using various methods by networks, ad agencies, and sponsors. In the case of CBS, they used the summer 1940 Monday night hour-long time slot vacated by Cecil B. DeMille and Lux Radio Theater as a testing ground for new shows. Beginning July 15, 1940, and for the next 13 weeks, a wide assortment of radio programs, some from Hollywood, others from New York, were presented on a series entitled Forecast. This name was chosen to signify the potential of programs that CBS was grooming for its listeners. Usually, there were two different 30-minute programs aired each week on Forecast. In the first week, Battle of Music was offered, followed by a dramatization of the American theater by Booth Tarkington. It was the second week on July 22, 1940, that Suspense was presented. The idea for this series came from the fertile mind of CBS radio producer-director Charles Vanda, who was in charge of the network's West Coast programming division. He envisioned a series of thrilling dramas taken to a new level on par with the finest motion pictures, featuring stars of stage and screen in leading roles. Vanda had vast experience at CBS, producing several high-caliber programs, including the Columbia Workshop and Gateway to Hollywood, among others. To direct his new creation, he sought Alfred Hitchcock, who had achieved fame in Hollywood directing such films as The 39 Steps, Rebecca, and Jamaica Inn. Chosen to star in this suspense audition was Herbert Marshall, who was then co-starring in Hitchcock's latest film, Foreign Correspondent. According to suspense historian Keith Scott, both Marshall and Hitchcock agreed to perform an adaptation of the 1913 novel The Lodger by Mrs. Marie Bellick Lowndes as it was a favorite of theirs. Hitchcock had directed a 1927 silent film version of the novel under the title The Lodger, a story of the London fog. The plot was based on the Jack the Ripper murders of young women, which occurred in the Whitechapel neighborhood of London in 1888. Though Hitchcock had very little radio experience prior to engaging in suspense. His leading man had performed on the Lux Radio Theater, Screen Guild Theater, and the Woodbury Hollywood Playhouse. There was much newspaper press leading up to the suspense radio play on forecast. Both Alfred Hitchcock and Herbert Marshall received top billing. And the adaptation was crafted by Joan Morrison, who we will discuss a little later. Okay, sit back, relax, and enjoy Herbert Marshall in The Lodger. 
The Audition of Suspense is originally broadcast from Hollywood on the CBS Forecast series, July 22, 1940. This is Hollywood and CBS presenting forecast number four. Herbert Marshall, directed by Alfred Hitchcock in the first program of a proposed new series entitled Suspense. Tonight's forecast program, ladies and gentlemen, represents the ideal form of collaboration. Mr. Alfred Hitchcock, brilliant English director of such outstanding motion pictures as The 39 Steps, Rebecca, and Foreign Correspondent, was eager to create a very special type of radio drama, The Suspense Story. As narrator and star for his production, he thought at once of the distinguished actor with whom he had been associated in countless British film successes, Herbert Marshall. Mr. Marshall suggested that they dramatize a certain favorite story of his, and that story happened to be the very one Mr. Hitchcock had had in mind. Mrs. Bella Clown's classic in Chills, The Lodger. The Lodger is a work of fiction which springs from recorded fact. A story which begins in the year 1888 in London. A London terrorized by the fifth in a succession of recent murders. It was believed that these deeds were the work of one person, a tall, gaunt figure in a black Inverness cape, carrying a small, narrow bag. That meager description, provided by a highly unnerved witness, was the sum total of all that was known of the murderer. It was enough, however, to keep alive and alert the interest of all London, of all those in fine quarters, and all those in small, grimy houses, as, for example... Ellen Bunting. Ellen was no different from all the other middle-aged housewives dwelling in the great city's squalid Whitechapel district. She knew all the known facts of the case. As Herbert Marshall will tell you, Ellen knew it was quite proper to refer to this wielder of the knife as... The Avenger. Of course, Ellen Bunting was far more concerned with her personal problems than with thoughts of the Avenger. Yet the case of that strange, elusive killer quite often forced all other matters from her mind. There was that mad, meaningless scheme he seemed to follow. All his victims, for example, had been women. All had been young, attractive, and, oddly enough, blonde. But Ellen could no more understand the motive for his brutal slashings than could the police. This night, she and her husband, Robert Bunting, sat before their fireplace reading the newspaper account of the latest murder. The Avenger had struck again. As Ellen expressed it, he might be anybody. He might be the fellow you pass on the street. It's a terrible thought. Yes. If only the police had something to go on. It looks like that Avenger's just too quick for him. Look, it says here that this girl he got last night was like all the others. Hmm. Pretty, blonde, and, uh, let's see, described by her friends as a very light-hearted girl. What a pity. Did you ever stop to think who fits that to a T? 
In fact, if it's all those girls... Why... Why, my own Daisy. Oh, that's a horrible thought. Well, maybe it's a good thing she's with her aunt, then, instead of here. Mm. London ain't a safe place for any girl right now. Ah, just the same. I can't help thinking how fine it'll be to have her back in. Now, Bunting, you know that Daisy seems just as much my own daughter as she is yours. Mm. But I'm telling you, there's no sense even thinking about having her back right now. We just can't afford it. Oh, I know that, Ellen. Only, well, well, maybe we could manage it some way. How? Haven't I scrimped myself half crazy trying to keep us going? But you don't care about that, do you? No, your daisy's more important to you than I am. No, 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 Ellen, Ellen, that don't sound like you. Oh, I can't help if it don't. What are we going to do? Tell me that. We'll get along, dear. Something will turn up. Oh, we haven't had a lodger for months. Nobody even comes to look at the room anymore. Yes, but things will work out, Ellen. Oh, they ain't never going to work out. So we won't even have a roof over our heads and... Oh? Oh, I'm sorry, Robbie. I... I didn't mean to take on so... I know, dear, I know. It's all right. Oh, I... I didn't think it... It's just that I, I've been so worried. Well, don't you go worrying another second, old girl. Why, first thing you know, you won't be pretty anymore. You'll have your face all wrinkled. Now, and you'll... see here, Now, come on, now, let's see a smile. Come on, just have one oh, smile. Oh, leave me alone. Just one I smile won't. like you used to, eh? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, who do you suppose that could be? Oh, for late for visitors, I... Bunting, do you think it could be somebody looking for rooms? Well, it might be. Want me to go to the door? No, I'll go. Oh. You just stay here. Yes, all right. Now, be sure you get a good look at Louise before you let them in, dear. Oh, I'm coming. Oh, I do hope it's... <clears throat> yes, sir? Is it not true that you let lodgings? Yes, sir. Uh, uh, won't you come in, sir? Thank you. Uh, could I... Uh, could I take your cape, sir? There's no need. Now, I... Um... I'm looking for a quiet room. It must be quiet. Oh, we have that, sir. Above all, our, our house is quiet. Uh, your bag, sir. May I take it? No, I'll hold it. If you'll be so good as to show me the room, please. Oh, oh yes, yes, sir. It's right up these stairs, sir. Uh, this way. Thank you. Uh, you see, sir, uh, there's just my husband and me here, and we're ever so quiet, and, and I'm sure you'll find this room to your liking, sir. Here we are. No, I'll, I'll just light the gas. There. Mm-hmm. Very good. It is pleasant, isn't it, sir? And, and there's not many rooms with such pretty pictures. Are there now? We've had them in the family for years, sir. And... Pictures interest me very little. You see, what really impresses me about the room is the very simplicity of it, the, um, the bareness. Uh, yes, sir. It's not at all crowded, is it? It will be quite suitable, Mrs... Um... Uh, Bunting, sir. Mrs. Bunting. You see, I do a great deal of studying in my book here, the Holy Bible. Yes, sir. Um, please, sir, uh, let me help with your luggage. No, don't touch it. Oh, but I, I only wish to... Oh, you only wish to help, of course. You must forgive me, Mrs. Bunting. It's just that I... I'm so very weary. Of course, sir. He bringeth them to their desired haven. Beautiful words, Mrs. Bunting. Indeed they are, sir. And now at last I have found my haven of rest. Yes, sir. Then, then you'll be taking the room. Let us see now. Uh, what are you going to charge me? With attendance, mind. I shall be staying in most of the time and I shall be wanting meals. Oh, we can see to that, then sir. Then does um, 30 shillings a week suit you? 30? Why, why, yes, sir. Yes, sir, that will be quite all right. Good, and I shall pay you in advance. My name is Sleuth. Mrs. Bunting? Mr. Sleuth. S-L-E-U-T-H. Think of a hound, Mrs. Bunting, and you'll never forget my name. Twenty-three, four, thirty, thirty shillings. Thank you, sir. And I think I should enjoy a little light supper now, Mrs. Bunting. 
bread and butter, perhaps? Could you arrange that? Oh, certainly, sir. I- I'll do that now. And uh, if you'd be requiring any beer or spirits... Certainly or... not. Oh, sir. What, what did I say? I thought you understood me, Mrs. Bunting, and I had hoped that you and your husband were abstainers. But we are, sir. We don't keep nothing about. I would have had to go out and... Of course, of course. Oh, I'm sorry, Mrs. Bunting. I fear I spoke sharply. I don't wish you to think me rude. After all, you... You've been so kind. Consider it. I hope I know a gentleman when I see one. Thank you, thank you very much. Now, I'll just hurry with your supper. The room? No, don't bother me now. I have to get him some supper. What did you mean? Come to the kitchen where he won't hear us. He took it, Ellen? Yes, he took the room? Yes. We're all right now. Look. 30 shillings. A week in advance. Oh, it's wonderful. Wonderful. And Ellen, do you see what this means? Yes, you can have Daisy now. Yes. Uh, here, Bunting. Warm that teapot and put some tea leaves in right it. Right-o, right-o. Yeah, do you know something, old girl? We're not going to worry too much about Daisy being in danger of that Avenger fella. Whatever do you mean, Robbie? Well, she's not a girl who takes a drink, you know. Um, what's that to do with it, please? Oh, something I read in the paper while he was upstairs with the gentleman. They just found out that every one of the Avenger's victims had been drinking. They figured he must be some kind of a rabid abstainer. What a peculiar chap. Now hurry, Bunting, please. Yes. Two thoughts. Two thoughts only governed Ellen's mind. The lodger's light supper and her own good fortune at having such a lodger. Mr. Sleuth was an eccentric sort, but then he was such a gentleman, so quiet, so very religiously inclined. She started up the staircase to Mr. Sleuth's room, her husband at her side. Won't do no harm to be safe, though, once Grace is back in London, eh? We'll see she stays closer than the ass, hmm? Well, I'll be downstairs. Hurry up with his supper, old girl. She has cast down many wounded from her. Gay many strong men have been slain by her. Come in. And to know the wickedness of folly. Why, Mr. S- yes? What is it? Those pictures. Those pretty girls. You've turned all their faces to the wall. And that maneuver, that strange action, was the beginning of Ellen's concern. Soon there came to her a recollection of the black Inverness cape, the small narrow bag, the urgent matter of alcoholic drink. And these details began to shape themselves into a pattern which grew more disturbing with each passing hour. The day following, the lodger did not leave the upstairs room once, nor did he leave the next day. And the oddness of this took its place in the pattern. Then, too, the approaching arrival of Daisy, her stepdaughter, added to her concern. On the second night, her sleep was restless with vague, horrifying images. And so when she heard the first stealthy footsteps outside her bedroom, she was instantly awake. Tensely, she followed those steps downstairs, down the hallway. She heard the front door open and then click shut. Utter stillness fell upon the house. And outside the streets were so silent she could hear distinctly the clock from a church tower a mile away told the hour. In her troubled frenzy, she pictured a lone figure plodding through the deep fog, moving quietly, stealthily, stalking, searching, finding. When, soon after she heard the lodger return, she sought to quiet the horrible dread which had possessed her. 
She assured herself that Daisy's arrival that day was no cause for alarm. Now she reasoned, how could there be anything really evil about so religious a gentleman as Mr. Sleuth? But for her, there was no more sleep, merely a tormented state of half-consciousness, a state which suddenly dropped from her shortly after daybreak. <laughs> Horrible murder. That was the piercing scream of a newsboy far down the street. The Avenger right during night. Ellen Bunting heard the boy cry out the Avenger's latest stroke, made during the night. You're listening to Radio Rarities. We'll return after this short break. If you enjoy classic radio shows like The Lone Ranger, The Shadow, Jack Benny, Gunsmoke, Dragnet, and Suspense, become a member of the Classic Radio Club. Each month, you'll receive 10 half-hour classic radio shows, along with historical liner notes. The 10 shows will be on five CDs or via digital download, whichever you prefer. You'll also receive an email every week with a digital link to the full five-hour Hollywood 360 radio show and the 30-minute Radio Rarities podcast that Lisa Wolf and I co-host. In total, you'll receive 34 classic radio shows per month. Become a Classic Radio Club member at ClassicRadioClub.com or call 815-900-7535 to speak to a live operator. Log on to ClassicRadioClub.com or call 815-900-7535. That's 815-900-7535. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-494-8310. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-494-8310. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-494-8310. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Now, back to Radio Rarities. Ellen's first glimpse that morning of the grey-faced lodger brought the steepest night's warm terror full to the surface. But on the next instant, she saw the pitiable, helpless weariness in his eyes, and curiously, the terror began to pass. She found that she was hoping desperately that her fears were unfounded, Earlier, she had determined to tell Bunting of the awful convictions in her mind. Now, however, she felt she must be certain. Certain before she spoke to a soul. She knew there was one thing she must examine. That was the lodger's single piece of luggage. She'd thought of it often. What could it hold? 
Not much in the way of clothing, surely. It was too small, too, too narrow. It was more like a case. A case for a knife. It was along toward noon that Edwin found her opportunity to search the lodger's room. Soon after Bunting left to meet Daisy, Mr. Sleuth himself walked from the house. Ellen watched the tall, thin figure in the black Inverness cape disappear down the street, and then she rushed upstairs into the room. Quickly, she moved to the closet. It was no different from what it had always been, utterly empty. She found nothing under the bed. She went then to the chest of drawers against the wall. She opened the top drawer and found inside nothing but a frayed shirt, two handkerchiefs, the next drawer under clothes, socks, the next empty. There remained then only one possible place for the small, narrow bag, the bottom drawer, and it was locked. Tugging at the drawer, she heard suddenly the opening of the front door downstairs. Panic stricken, she rushed out of the room and down the hall to the head of the stairs. Upstairs, Ellen. Ellen, Daisy's here. Oh, Mother Ellen, it's so good to see you. And well, whatever's the matter? Yes, you've gone quite white. Oh, well, I, I'm all right. I, I wasn't expecting you so soon. <laughs> oh, you don't know how fine it is to be back, Mother Ellen. Oh, the country's all right in its way, but there's nothing like London now, is there? No, no, there isn't. But as long as that adventure's about, I can see we're going to have to do something about these blonde locks, eh, Ellen? Oh, don't worry about that. I'll dye them, maybe. Uh, or just pin them under my hat. <laughs> Daisy, I, I might as well get you settled. Oh, now, Father, isn't that just like her? She's straight to the point. No point. Well, I'll bet a sixpence you'll have a dust cloth in your hand before you've got your coat off. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Sleuth. Mrs. Bunting, I see my door is open. Oh, we, we were just leaving, so we... Does this mean that all of you have been in my room? Oh, not at all, sir. I... What must I do? Keep it locked? But you see, sir... I was just tidying up a bit, and, and Mr. Bunting, he brought his daughter up, sir. She, she just arrived. This is Daisy, sir. Pleased to meet you, sir. Uh, she, she, she's been away for quite a long while, you see, Mr. Sleuth, and that, 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 that's why we're a bit excited, you might say. Yes, you must have been surprised when you came in, hearing us laughing and carrying on that way. Yes, yes, I must say I was. However, Miss uh, Daisy, there are all types of joy, are there not? Yes. I'm sure there are. The despicable evil joy of the abandoned and the divine happiness of the blessed. A vast difference, that. You do understand me, don't you? Why, yes, sir. Yes, Mr. Sleuth. I devoutly hope so, Miss Daisy. Nowadays, there are so very few young women like yourself who do. In fact, I, I all but despaired ever of finding one. If, if you'll excuse us now, sir, we'll, we'll be getting Daisy's things put away. Of course, Mrs. Bunting, and I must be getting to my room. Believe me, Miss Daisy, it's been a revelation to meet you. Oh, thank you, sir. I'm sure we shall have much to discuss. <laughs> He's a queer one, all right. But such a gentleman, isn't he? At that moment, Ellen had been determined to pour out her terrible knowledge, and then the moment passed by. She told herself that perhaps the past few days had been nothing more than a grim illusion tormenting play of imagination. She would wait then until she had attended the coroner's inquest into the last Avenger murder. There, perhaps, she could hear evidence to disprove all her fears, to assure her there was no earthly harm in Daisy being so near the lodger. This was her gravest concern now, for on the next day, Mr. Sleuth made it a point to see the girl more than once, and fearfully, Ellen saw that Daisy welcomed his visits. As Ellen was preparing to step out to the inquest, she heard once more the voices of her stepdaughter and the lodger, Coming to her through the kitchen door. She hesitated before entering. Tense. Strangely apprehensive. I do believe, Mrs. Lewis, I've never known a gentleman with such funny ideas. 
Oh, Mother Ellen, you should hear what Mr. Sleuth was just saying. Perhaps, Daisy, you would excuse yourself. And... <laughs> he thinks people, and especially girls, should spend all their time praying. I sought to explain, Mrs. Bunting, that all women are placed on this earth filled with evil. They therefore must struggle constantly to find the paths of righteousness. Why, Mr. Sleuth, you mean a girl's not to enjoy life at all? Not to have fun? Frivolity, my child, is the devil's breeding ground. And all his implements are there. Temptation, pleasure, wine. Oh, that's crazy. Well, there's nothing I like better than a glass of wine. And I'm... You drink. She didn't know what she was saying, Mr. Sleuth. Just a child, and Daisy, you'd better go now. But I didn't say nothing wrong. What's the harm in a glass of wine? She lieth in wait as for a prey, and increaseth the transgressors among men. I don't know what you mean. I never heard such nonsense. You call Holy Scripture nonsense? So what I prayed against is true. You are beyond salvation. That's not so. I'm a good girl, I am, and I won't have you saying that. Daisy, Daisy, go into the front room. It's quite all right, Mrs. Bunting. I must be going upstairs anyway. I'm used to being misunderstood, you know. People never realize that my efforts are simply for the greater good of humanity. Of course, sir. And that the power on high will direct my hand toward the expulsion of all evil. Daisy. Daisy, listen to me. Yes? I've got to tell you about... About... About what, Mother Ellen? Nothing. I've got to go out for a while now. I'll be back. <laughs> The moment to reveal the secret horror had come again and passed. Ellen's sudden recollection of Mr. Sleuth as he stood in the doorway had overwhelmed her. She must give him this last chance, this last frantic search for disproving evidence, this trip to the inquest. If that chance should fail, then she would tell Bunting or the police. So with the knowledge that Bunting was left in the house to look after Daisy, she boarded the underground train bound for the coroner's court. But as the train pulled away from the station, a new torture came to her began to mount in her mind. It was the sudden realization that provided Sleuth was the murder, she was equally responsible for his crimes. She had been giving him protection. Protection, 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 protection. If anything should happen to Daisy, she would be equally guilty. Guilty, 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 guilty. Fully as guilty as... The Avenger. seated at the rear of the small but crowded inquest room, listened to each of the witnesses as they were called. And from one of them, she found the first hope she had known for many days. This witness lived next to the alley in which the Avenger had committed his crime that night. She had seen him from a window, and the man she described in no way resembled Ellen's lodger. But in another moment, Ellen's hope was swept away. It was pointed out that the fog had been so heavy that night that the witness could not possibly have seen the murderer from her window. She left the stand, replaced by a Mr cannot. This elderly gentleman was certain that he had not only seen, but talked with the Avenger. It was in Regent's Park, he testified, only a few moments before... A few moments before the murder, Mr. Coroner, when I saw him, he was quite a tall man, very gaunt-looking, and carrying a handbag. 
A handbag, you say? Yes, a small, narrow one. Just such a bag, I might add, as might contain a knife. As Ellen heard these words, the tension which had been mounting up within her became almost unbearable. Rigid with horror, she gripped the arms of her chair. She heard the coroner... I shall have to ask for more order in the court. And now, Mr. Kenneth, I understand you heard this man speak. Oh, yes. He had a rather high, hesitating voice. An educated man, I would judge, but quite mad. What do you mean by that? Well, as he emerged from the fog, he was talking aloud to himself. Believe me, sir, he was reciting scriptures from the Bible. Scriptures from the Bible. Horrified, Ellen rose from her seat, only half hearing the confusion about her. Are you asking us to believe? I would say, Mr. Cannot, that the man we are looking for would be least of all a religious man. And that's where you're in error, Mr. Coroner. The religious note is the very key to the case. Very interesting. That'll be all, Mr. Cannot. Uh, just a moment, sir. Don't you understand? The man you're after must be a religious maniac. That's the only explanation possible. You will please stand down. Court was dismissing the very truth. Ellen knew that now. She would no longer keep silent. Her hands shot forth and she screamed. I, I want to say... Ellen Bunting, on the verge of speaking, had fainted. And then, when she was revived a few moments later, she said nothing. Her brain was in too great a turmoil. Her nerves too shocked. Like one in a dream, she allowed herself to be led from the courtroom. The voices of spectators were only vague sounds to her. I thought she was going to say something. Yes, it was hysteric. Say. Yeah, that bit about the knife. Yeah, the, the knife. knife. The knife. The knife. The knife. As Ellen Bunting proceeded home with the remarks from the spectators remained in her mind, she heard them over and over. Yeah, that bit about the knife. The knife. Just such a bag as my companion. The knife. We all see she stays closer than the house, eh? No harm in being safe. Direct my hand toward the expulsion of all evil. Expulsion of all evil. What's the harm in a glass of wine? I didn't say nothing wrong. As Ellen neared her neighborhood, her dread increased. With each moving footstep, the grip of terror grew tighter, tighter about her. She moved faster, faster. If only she were in time. She was two streets away from the house. Then one. Then... Then she saw Bunty. Sharply, like the thrust of a knife, she realized what this meant. Daisy was left alone with the lodger. Oh, Bunting, tell me, Bunting. Where's Daisy? Where is she? I say, where? Well, at home. Oh, listen to me. Try to understand. Sleuth is the Avenger. What are you saying? Oh, Lodger. He's the Avenger, Bunting. Oh, but there's no time for that. Daisy's in danger. Hurry. Hurry. Yes. Daisy. Daisy. Here we are, Bunting. Here we are. Daisy. Oh, Daisy. Daisy. Daisy, where are you? I look in the kitchen, Bunting. You try the sitting room. Daisy! Daisy! Where are you, Daisy? Answer me, Daisy! Oh. Right the bedroom. Jeez, she's not here. What about the dining room? Look, she's not there. She's not downstairs. Then there's just his room. Go on. Open the door.
say, Cop, what's the idea here? Jump a few more lines to do. As Mr. Marshall, the narrator, you have. Not as Mr. Sleuth, the lodger. Hit, you can't stop the play right here. It isn't fair, you know. Why isn't it, Bart? What more is there to say? But, Mr. Hitchcock, won't people want to know what Bunting and me found in the room? All right, Ellen. What precisely did you find? Well, uh, nothing, sir. There. You see? Nothing. No lodger, no Bible. And that locked dresser drawer. What about that? We unlocked it, sir. And what was in it? Nothing, sir. You are certain, Mrs. Bunting? Oh, oh, oh you gave me quite a turn, Mr. Slew. I mean, Mr. Marshall. Yes, sir, I'm sure, sir. There was nothing. Well, picking your pardon, Mr. Richcock, but don't you think we'd better just mention about Daisy? I don't know, Bunting. What do you think we ought to say? Oh, just that the reason she wasn't in the house when Ellen and me got there was... Well, she'd gone out for a walk, that's all. Did she enjoy it? Oh, very much, sir. Made it to King's Cross and back in just under an hour, sir. Splendid time, Bunting. Well, there you are, Bart. There's the story. Now, wait a minute, Mr. Hitchcock. You can't do that. That's not the story. Of course it's not. Now, look here, Hitch. Here's the fellow who composed and conducted all our music, Wilbur Hatch. He wants to know about this, too. Everybody does. All right, Bart. What is it they want to know? What became of Mr. Sleuth? Oh, him. Why, he left that afternoon. They never saw him again. And now I think we ought to say something about the Columbia forecast Mr. show for... Mr. will you please... Stop him, uh, Mr. Marshall. Hitch, listen to me. Yes? What is it? They want to know when the Avenger finally was caught. Oh, well, let me ask you something, Bart. Are you acquainted with Loretta Young? Yes, what's that got to do with it? Well, in next week's Columbia preview series, Miss Young will take the starring role in the drama of an American Red Cross nurse. That's good news, isn't it? Oh, that's great. But now listen, Hitch... You've just got to tell that audience exactly when and how Mr. Sleuth was caught. Caught? Why on earth should he be caught? Why? Well, he was the Avenger, wasn't he? Was he? Your guess, gentle listener, is as good as ours. Even Mrs. Bella Glanz, who wrote the novel, isn't entirely sure. For his masterful direction, our thanks to Alfred Hitchcock, whose latest pictures are David O. Selznick's Rebecca and Walter Wanger's Foreign Correspondent. For his superb characterization of Mr. Sleuth, our thanks to Herbert Marshall. And our thanks to the outstanding British character actor who tonight portrayed the role of Bunting, Edmund Gwen. If you liked tonight's program and want to hear more in the same highly original Hitchcock vein, radio versions of The Lady Vanishes and The 39 Steps, for example, write to CBS and tell us so. Your interest will help bring suspense to the air as a weekly feature. Forecast next week presents from Hollywood, Loretta Young in Angel, first of a proposed series based on the adventures and the romance of a typical Red Cross nurse. From New York, a new sort of comedy show, Ed Gardner as Archie in Duffy's Tavern, with Gertrude Neeson, Colonel Stupnagel, Larry Adler, and John Kirby's orchestra. Don't miss Forecast at this hour next week. <laughs> Thomas Freebens was speaking. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Well, 
Carl, this was quite a performance by the cast, but not what you would have expected had you listened to any of the regular series episodes of Suspense. There were differences between this audition and the nearly 1,000 episodes which would eventually follow. And the two that come to mind are the music and the ending. Which did not have a final resolution regarding the outcome of the story. Though the music as composed and conducted by Wilbur Hatch was impressive, it simply was not what Bernard Herman would later accomplish with the program. In this audition of The Lodger, credit was given to Herbert Marshall for his roles as both the narrator and Mr. Sleuth. And was he also the Avenger, Carl? As that person was not caught, Lisa will never know. Only one additional cast member was credited at the end of the show, and that was Edmund Gwen, who played Robert Bunting. Listeners might recognize him from the Lux Radio Theater, Arch Obler's plays, and The March of Time in which he often impersonated the voice of Winston Churchill. He's best remembered as Chris Kringle in the classic Christmas film Miracle on 34th Street, in which he won an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor and also the Golden Globe. Two additional cast members are known as they were cited in a variety review of the episode by Robert Landry. They were Noreen Gamble, who played Ellen Bunting, and Lorene Tuttle as the Bunting's daughter, Daisy. Both did an outstanding job and deserved to be recognized on air. Howard McNear portrayed Mr. Kennett, a witness on the stand during the coroner's inquest, and of course, Alfred Hitchcock, as the director, was credited too. But that wasn't Hitchcock's voice. It was someone else impersonating the director. That's right, Lisa. Even though Hitchcock was the director, he was not present in CBS Hollywood Studios for the broadcast. At the last minute, he had to fly to New York to attend to publicity for his latest film, Rebecca. Research by suspense chronicler Joe Webb reveals that Hitchcock caught the Hollywood broadcast while at the CBS studios in New York. He was accompanied by New York World Telegram radio editor Alton Cook. And Cook wrote about this event and the suspense broadcast for three straight days in his newspaper column. Even though Hitchcock said that it was his voice on suspense via recording, the truth is that he was impersonated by an actor. While many sources surmise that it may have been Joseph Kearns, it was actually Edmund Stevens. A little-known character actor who did an excellent job. Another issue is the author of the radio adaptation. The publicity released by CBS stated that Joan Morrison was the scriptwriter. However, Harold Medford is known to also have been involved as he was at CBS in 1940. According to Keith Scott, the Joan, who CBS was promoting in the publicity for the broadcast, may have been Joan Harrison and not Morrison. Joan Harrison was originally Hitchcock's secretary, who became more involved in film production, including as a screenwriter for Hitchcock. Films Rebecca and Jamaica Inn. As an audition, The Lodger was not a success and suspense was put on hold. It would be two years until suspense was given the green light by CBS Brass. At that time, Alfred Hitchcock was no longer involved with the series as his motion picture projects were keeping him very busy. Charles Vanda was at the helm of suspense and he initiated what was to become the beginning of a remarkable time for the program and the suspense enterprise, which continued for some 20 years on CBS. Well, that's all the time we have for this edition of Radio Rarities. Radio Rarities is a Gulfstream Studios copyrighted production produced by yours truly, Carl Amari. My co-host is Lisa Wolf. Mike Costella is our executive producer. And the show is written by Carl Shadow. Next week, we'll present an audition of one of the most hilarious comedies to hit the airwaves, The Bickersons. So don't miss it. Thanks for listening.
it's time to rethink, renew, and reimagine retirement. Hey, everybody, Jared Sebesta here, host of Retire Repurposed. Now, this podcast is about the non-financial parts of retirement, which many times can be even more challenging than the financial. We believe retirement is not the end, rather the beginning of what could be the most impactful, purposeful, and fulfilling season of a person's life. So don't retire, become repurposed. To listen now, search Retire Repurposed on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.